Before the USO was sending Bob Hope overseas, a little-known organization went to the war front to support soldiers in the Civil War. John Wega founded his own museum to share its story, and on this scenic route, he shares it with Andrew McRae. A lot of people won't have ever heard of the U.S. Christian Commission, so tell us about who it was, how it got started, uh, and so forth. Well, the U.S. Christian Commission actually is a little-known story. It's not in most of the history books, but uh, they, they went to the battlefields, and Grant had said they went to almost every battlefield and hospital during the war, alleviating much suffering, but they didn't go with rifles. They went with Bibles and bandages and the love of Christ and brought hope to what you might call hopeless situations. Yeah. Was it an offshoot of the YMCA, or were they affiliated, or how did they get their, their start then? Well, when the war begins, there's really only 30 chaplains for the whole U.S. Army, and pretty quickly there's about 250,000 soldiers. And, of course, you can imagine the YMCA had come to America in early, about 1854, and uh, those 200 city-based branches of different sizes cleared out pretty quickly. And some of the volunteers followed them to the first battle cam- battlefields and camps, and they, um, at their inspiration, the YMCA leadership came together and formed this group dedicated to the sp- spiritual and temporal needs of the soldiers, and they did just that during the war. The, the people, and we mentioned this earlier, would have come from all walks of life, but were they, were there some that this was kind of their full-time calling and they did this full-time, or was it more the battles in Gettysburg, so we round up people in this area and they go then fulfill the role? No, they pretty much came from different parts of the, primarily the northern states, and they would travel the troops to the battlefields. You had some that were assigned to march with troops, some that were assigned hospitals, some were more administrative and fundraising type of things. Others were even called Minutemen, and they said when they got word of the battle, no matter what they were doing and where they at, they expect to get on the next train and get there as fast as possible. One of those was actually D.L. Moody out of Chicago. He and his wife were on the original list of 5,000 delegates, and he served on seven battlefields. Wow. The, the people doing this, were they normally then not young men that would have been in a battle? Were they older, younger, women? Who all was helping them? All the above is American people, man. And you can take a swath of that and pretty much pull out any one particular character now. It just really depended on where they were serving. The ones that were traveling with the troops on the battlefields were the younger men, some seminary students, some Harvard graduates, well-educated for the most part. Others were teachers, and some were uh, just tradesmen type of thing. And uh, some had been soldiers. Some had been chaplains with the armies before. So you have quite a variety of people that did it. But at the root of it was a heart to see that Really, no one would perish without coming to a knowledge of the Son. They were truly committed to the gospel, and they said, we went to the battlefields with bread in one hand and bread of life in the other. Yeah, yeah. When they were in this role then, let's say that it wasn't a battle time, would, what was their normal role then? Was it just kind of like what we'd think of as a chaplain? We can think of things that they would have done on the battlefield that would have been specific, but what about those, I guess you'd say, down times maybe? Well, that's a good question because you really think about a soldier's life. Gettysburg, as famous as it is, with only three days. Then you have months and months and weeks and long marches in between and even winter camps go through months so they would actually establish a variety of locations some would actually become built into log buildings they would be prayer rooms reading rooms they they actually distributed just a phenomenal amount of goods you know about 1.46 million bibles to the troops during the war Uh, millions of hymn books uh, knapsack books over 8 million of those 18 million christian newspapers they set up reading rooms with local newspapers and Uh, portable loan libraries where a soldier could check out a book, 39 million pages of gospel tracts. If you think about it, the country's population was only 30 million people, so they exceeded the population of the nation through those delegates and that distribution. And uh, writing a letter home, think about the practical needs of things. They didn't have these emails and all these things as we have really kind of a real 
phenomenal thing with soldiers today, but writing a letter you might not hear from a loved one for a long time. And imagine trying to carry stationary wish in these battlefields and long marches. I mean, it would just dissolve and dilapidate. And the commission would set up writing rooms and a table with maybe 20, 25 men could come in and write a letter. And they gave over 7 million pages of stationery out free of charge with envelopes and paid the postage. Mm-hmm. They were very well trusted and learned. They did those things because a chaplain's duty is, is a pretty, pretty broad, pretty broad thing. They, they're, they're the everything person. And uh, they, they built hundreds of chapels on the field. You talk about, they called it the greatest work of church extension in the times. In a period of two weeks, I read, where 123 chapels were built. And these were filled to be 1,000, 2,000 men at one time. And many times, read accounts where there was many men standing outside the chapel trying to get in as they could sit inside of it. And uh, that's not exclusive, exclusive to one side of the army. You may have read a lot about or heard about God moving in the southern armies, and that is, is what happened. But the story about God moving through the norm, northern armies has either been neglected or not reprinted, or, or sometimes it's, it's not talked about because people still try to take sides in, in the issue in, in various places and things. Yeah. You mentioned the sides. The Christian Commission, though, was working in both sides. That's a good question because, well, they're formed in New York City. They're traveling with the, New, with the Union Army. They don't really have exclusive rights to go freely among the, the battle areas. Uh, some have been captured. Some have been put in prison. But they did serve both sides, and I, I say when the opportunity presents itself. And that's primarily on the fields after the battle or when they go in and occupy a town. They would feed the townspeople and do it just with what they had. But here at Gettysburg is a good example where you have more wounded Southerners left on these fields, which to them is like a foreign country. And a great statement of a South Carolina colonel that I think really sums it up. He said this. He said, as he was being treated by the commission, he said, I cannot understand you people. He said, first you fight us like devils, but now you're serving us like angels. And then he went on to say that he said, I'm sorry I ever got involved in this war. And there you start to see the principle that the hearts of men are won over that no bullet or cannon could ever do. Yeah. And that becomes, I think, the seedbed of reconciliation for our nation to go forward and then become as great as it has since that time. Yeah. What were they doing? Were local churches raising money for this? Because they were handing out certainly a lot. So how did they come up with their, their funding? All of the above. You know, as a delegate, was average length of service was about six weeks. Some went back multiple times. Others would stay one, two years as a general delegate type of thing, as an, as an organizer or leader. But when they got home from the battlefield, they were expected to go out to churches and speak to people and go out and raise funds and let them know about the work that was going on. Because it's like us today. You know, there's all kinds of things going on in the battlefield, and we usually get little snippets. And, we, and we're living life. We're continuing to work and all these things. And it can become kind of sub- suppressed maybe in our mind or we're not we don't want to think about that kind of thing so as reminders as these would go out and raise money and that went all the way throughout the nation you went out into california there's even a groups in hawaii that were sending monies up and it became really the small people sending what they could both supplies jams jelly shirts socks bandages that they would roll little letters written from the sunday schools and even girls giving you know their 30 sugar cubes in a bag to go off to a soldier somewhere. And sometimes it's those little things that mean more than the, more than gold would mean to a man far from home, just uh, hoping and praying for his own kids, and, and that means a lot. One of the things they were giving was coffee. Why don't you talk about that for a little bit? Well, coffee uh, was an important staple of a soldier's life as it is uh, as it is now. And, and just like many, even today, corporate boardroom wars are won on coffee, you know, with Starbucks. Uh, they they traveled with a lot of coffee, and um, it was a real rare commodity in the field because soldiers were given what they could at one time, and they're so far from home in these supply lines. And, and uh, the Christian Commission, serving the practical needs, they built and invented what they called the coffee wagon. 
It was built on a cannon caisson for the most part. Instead of an artillery piece on the back, it had three 14-gallon boilers. They would tender a wood fire, and they said we could boil 108 gallons of coffee, tea, or cocoa in one hour. And it traveled on the march with the troops, and it did just that. They would take it out by the bucket loads to the soldiers or the big five-gallon coffee pots. And, boy, I've had accounts down at Seven Pines, Virginia, and the men laying all across the field, no help, no, no, no one there to provide relief. And they look up, and the soldier says he saw a brigade. He called it the Christian Brigade, 12 delegates of the commission coming over that hill. And right behind him, he said six white horses pulling the coffee machine. <laughs> Appomattox was a great place around the coffee wagon, it sounds like. Kind of a reconciliation point between sides. Yeah, well, the, actually, the, 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 the coffee wagon, I have accounts, was traveling with the 5th Corps, and when they went to Appomattox, the coffee wagon went with them. And the Christian Commission was there from the very beginning until the end. And it said that one of the first acts of reconciliation between those northern and southern soldiers was having coffee at the U.S. Christian Commission coffee wagon. And I think that's a very fitting picture, just to think about where the country came back together, it wasn't really over politics. It was over the issue of faith and men coming back to say, you know, we're one in the country and the freedoms that have been built upon God that this country's founded upon. Let us get back to that. And that's the only thing that really allowed this country to really to, to come back and be as great as it is today. Yeah. In here, you were telling the story, and you said that, you know, we don't necessarily talk about faith so much beyond just a, a couple of different individuals. But what do we know about some of those generals and so forth about faith? Did they speak about that uh, a lot and, and how it related to them during the war? Yeah, I think you have great examples of men that their faith gave them strength and courage to endure the life of a battlefield and even and be, I think, the leaders that exhibited um great courage to lead other people in that, both in their faith and, and on the battlefields under such you know terrible times, and war is one of those times. And I think there are great examples of individuals that have faith throughout, both from the top leadership in the, in the military and the country down to the lowest. And that's really not exclusionary. When you really start to look and dissect and look at individuals' lives, you've got uh, as many cases on the north as in the south. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, O.O. Howard was the 11th Corps commander here at Gettysburg, and you have accounts of him just praying and reading a scripture over one of his wounded and dying captains that God had. He read right out of the Bible, John 14, about he has a place that he has prepared for him to go, and they wept together, and he knelt down and kissed him and then went on his way. And, uh, you know, God didn't—I believe that, uh, you know, God has overarching purposes and sovereignty over this world, but, you know, when you really look at it, I believe he's on man's side. He said, whosoever would believeth on his son's name would not perish but have everlasting life. And that statement, my friend, is not shaded by blue, gray, green, time, space, or anything else in between. It's one of those, you know, foundational principles that God will not violate himself. And that is exhibited on these fields, no matter what color uniform you are wearing. Yeah, yeah. Your passion for this subject led you to just to begin this museum. Why don't you tell people about what they can find here? Well, it's a great little place. We're in one of the most historic homes in the town. We're in the Jenny Wade birthplace, and we think her example of just serving the troops in the midst of a battle when it came to her town with what she had is a great kind of personal picture of what the Christian Commission did throughout the war. And uh, our museum that we founded, uh, this is our fourth season. My family and I uh, felt compelled to tell the story of the collection and the research I had done over the last seven years. And... Um, Really gives an opportunity for a visitor that comes to Gettysburg to learn, I'll say, the rest of the story since you're on the radio, to coin a phrase of another great legend in radio. But really to learn what about the people? What were they doing? Who helped these soldiers when there was over 20,000 wounded left on the fields? I mean, you learn so much about the battlefields and the monuments and the strategies of the armies and things like that. But really think about the people. 
the soldiers were people, but so were the people that lived in the, in the country and in the individual towns. They all suffered in different ways. Uh, but the Christian Commission is a great story to show not whose side God was on, but where was he? It's very inspiring. And if we could see him working in people's lives and bringing hope to them in the midst of what you might call their own Armageddon, I think it really helps us to see, well, if he was working then, he's 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 working today, and, and, and I'm facing things that probably aren't as bad as what the Civil War battlefields look like. Mm. And this is a great chance for people to come and do a group tour or individual tours when we're open here. We have a great website at usccgettysburg.org. We also have a log chapel that we built uh, right off the square, and you have a chance on Sunday to join us for a Civil War chapel service. And I kind of like to say uh, it's I kind of like to say it's the only chapel in town you can bring your rifle and your dog to, and uh, you get splinters and. I kind of like that because it keeps people awake when I preach. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a real experience sitting in a real old log chapel that we built from drawings and, and soldiers' letters. And last season, close to 2,000 people came through and joined us there. We also do, do living histories for the reenactments and have had the privilege to do about five services on the battlefield itself here, which is a pretty rare privilege. And we gave communion at the battlefield right near the Pennsylvania Monument and the Father Corby statue. And the Park Service said this is the first time it was done since the soldiers were here. And if you check our website for other special events, we'll have a replica coffee wagon that's built really down to the exact specifications as far as we could tell and build it. Full-size, 57-inch cannon wheels. We'll have that here at the museum in various parts, uh, times during the season. And uh, my son does soldiering demonstrations for people. So we do a, quite a variety of things to incorporate the history and the faith together. So you leave with really both parts of the story when you, when you leave Gettysburg, hopefully inspired to uh, take away more than just historical facts. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Scenic Route. Remember, you can catch all of our daily broadcasts, find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and much more at AmericanCountryside.com.